Open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, and Romans, chapter 11. Galatians 1 and Romans 11. Let's start reading in Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this passage is so vital to us. This book is so vital to us. And Lord, I pray that you will demonstrate that to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting that um, the text that we are in this morning and the request that we have uh, to pray for the Hickmans, they come at the same time. And if we could be honest, and that's not the right word, it if we could be open, I'm sure there are many people in this room right now who have serious burdens, heaviness in their hearts, things that are going on. And the longer you live, the more you realize that life is hard. Can anybody say amen to that? Life is hard. Um, I think it was uh, Bob Curlis. They were talking about, you know, the days off of school and Bob was caring for all the work at the uh, medicine shop and all these things, and Jay said to him, uh, Dad, these days, these snow days aren't as fun for adults as they are for kids, are they? <laughs> Unless you're a school teacher. But uh, it, it's just interesting how tough life can be. And it would be dishonest of me to stand up here and say that if you live right, if you're obedient to the Word of God, that your life will not have trouble. Look with me at, uh, before we go to that Hebrew, that uh, Romans 11, look with me at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Probably the, the, what people say is the greatest Christian to ever live. I, I don't know that anyone could know that, but at least recorded the recordings that we have. The Apostle Paul is one of the greatest Christians that we know of. Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and look at verse 21. <clears throat> I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, 
and journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. And he goes on to talk about visions and revelations and how the Lord, on top of that, because of all of the, the things that God had allowed him to do, he also brought him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to keep him from becoming proud. Now, i got to tell you, I don't think that's going to be found in your best life now. Isn't that interesting? This is the man that was used by God more than any man in history. He used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He used him to establish the churches, not only to establish the churches all through Asia Minor, Northern Africa, Southern Europe, all through that area. Not only did he do that, he used the Apostle Paul to actually introduce what a church is. And yet, he went through suffering and persecution and hardness and torture and physical pain and sickness, all those things. That's why we have the book of Galatians to tell us about this. Because I can promise you, if you live long enough, life will get hard. Now, you know, I'm thankful that for us, kids are healthy. Laura and I right now, we're not fighting. You know, life is good. Church is doing great. You know, God's just blessing us. We don't really have any trouble. How many of you would say that's kind of where you are right now, that you're not fighting with Laura? (laughs) But in those times, sometimes things bother you that just aren't important. Ice in the driveway. You know, it's amazing how things concern you that aren't really of great importance when life is good. When life is hard, then all thing you can see is your trouble. So how do we deal with those things? Well, let's look back at our text. Galatians. Paul, an apostle. We're going to do a lesson on that, but not this morning. Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So here's this first message to them. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So what I want to look at today are grace and peace and where they come from. 
And when you realize that life is hard, and have we established that? Life is hard. And through reading the experiences of the Apostle Paul, we see that life is hard even for good Christians. You know, uh, remember what the apostles or the disciples said to Jesus when they found a blind man? said, who sinned, him or his parents? Well, neither. It's, this is so that the glory of God can be revealed or manifest in him. Now, how many of you understand that those people were sinners? But that's not what the, the blindness was from. The reason we have sickness and death and blindness and pain and all those things is because we live in a fallen world. And the only way to fix it is for God to take us all out of here and then no one that's left will have an opportunity to be saved. So the price for people to have the opportunity to be saved is for us to live in the midst of a fallen world, a world where nothing is as it's supposed to be. So how are we going to do that? By grace. By grace. Uh, I want to talk about grace just for the beginning part of the message. And I have enough material here for three messages, which is good since we're not having a service tonight. We can just settle in and... No, it won't be that bad. But I want to talk a little bit about grace. There was a preacher in England. His name was Abraham Booth. And he wrote a book called The Reign of Grace. The Reign of Grace. He wrote it in 1768. I have a copy here. The front cover is gone. But this is a copy from 1771, a second edition. If anyone wants to find the first edition for me, my name is Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. But this book, it's a really interesting thing. And the reason that I wanted to get into it for this message was I wanted to see Booth's definition of grace. And you know that grace hasn't changed from 1768 until 2010 or 11. Right? It hasn't changed. But the way that we express things sure has. So let me read to you what Booth said about grace. And I got to tell you, it shocked me. Um, and you'll see. As the word mercy in its primary signification has relation to some creature either actually in a suffering state or obnoxious to it. So when, when someone gets mercy, this is a person that's in a situation that is horrible. And mercy gets them out of that horrible situation. All right? So grace, in its proper and strict sense, always presupposes unworthiness in its object. That's not what I thought of with grace. Because when you look at the technical definition of grace, it is a, it's a gift. Uh, the old word gratis. How many of you have heard that word gratis? When you get something gratis, what does that mean? It's free. It's the same root or base as grace. And so when we think of that, we, you know, I love it when things come gratis. You know, every once in a while, somebody will send me a book that they want me to review in the journal. I like free stuff. That's cool. Grace is so much more than that. The first thought in this word grace, in our understanding of grace, must be the understanding of unworthiness. And he goes on. Really, it really makes sense. And I had to read this several times before it made sense to me. But it really does. So here's what he says. So grace in its proper and strict sense 
always presupposes unworthiness in its object. Hence, whenever anything valuable is communicated by the blessed God to any of Adam's apostate offspring, the communication of it, listen, cannot be of grace any further than the person on whom it is conferred is considered as unworthy. Here's the idea. If God gives me something, and I think that I deserve it, then it's not grace. So the unworthiness of the recipient demonstrates the worth or validity of the grace. This is one of the problems with American evangelism. You can have your best life now. You, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ so you can be happy. You see? When the constant state of life was suffering, we talked about that last week. I had read about this preacher from the 1800s that was sick for 30 years. And that was just the constant state of the people around them because there weren't antibiotics. There weren't the, the cures and things that we have now. When, the state, when your state is constant suffering, you don't really consider your personal comfort that much. But for us, where everything is easy, it's like I think it was, uh, well, who's that comedian that we listened to? Tim Hawkins. He was talking about going to the gas station and the little clip that holds the, the gas pump on broke. You know, and he said, come on, I've got to hold it. How many of you have ever done that? Seriously. Yeah, man, me too. See, our life is based on comfort. We stand outside the microwave going. Everything about us, it's something for our ease, our comfort, what we're doing. My car, the windshield wipers come on automatically. You know, because this is hard. <laughs> you know, oh, I can't do it. For people like us, our understanding of our unworthiness, it's harder to, to sense. You know what I mean? It's really interesting. Listen to what else he says. For so far as any degree of worth appears, the province of grace ceases and that of equity takes place. So grace is only, you know, we know of it as unmerited favor. Is that right? And that's a great description. But it doesn't really convey all of it. We don't deserve the favor or the, the beneficence, the, the gift of God. We don't deserve that. But what he says, what Booth says, and it's such a great point, when there's worth, when I deserve it, then there's equity. It's just an exchange. So... Dan might come over, he did come over and help me uh, close in my garage. And so I could say, Dan, I'll come over and help you build your deck when you build that. But he saw my deck and said no. But, but the idea is that there's an equal exchange of labor. And, you know, in old times, there's a barter system. You know, preachers would be paid. They'd bring the preacher, you know, a, a, a butchered hog or whatever, and that's how the preacher would get paid. 
Um, th- th- that kind of, we changed from that. Now we use money. But we do understand the idea of like for like. That's not what salvation is. What do we have to give Him? What do I have that God needs? The one who thinks and it happens. The one who has no lack. What do I have as a sinner to offer Him? Nothing. So you see how the idea of worthiness removes the idea of grace? You can't have both. So the apostle in the book of Galatians, the first thing he says to them is grace be unto you. Look, look with me at, uh, before we go back to Booth, look with me at Romans 11. Look at verse 6. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. It's pretty clear. Either you have grace or works, you can't have both. There's no equity in this. That's what the book of Galatians is about. We need to understand grace. Listen to what Booth said. Grace and worthiness, therefore, cannot be connected in the same act. Did you get that? Grace and worthiness cannot be connected in the same act. Have you ever thought this? Man, I am full of myself. That's why we need grace. Because it helps us to understand our unworthiness. Um, So he said, grace and worthiness therefore cannot be connected in the same act and for the same end. The one must necessarily give place to the other. That's where Romans 11.6 comes in. From the apostles' reasoning, it is evident that whatever is of works is not of grace at all. And whatever is of grace is not of works in any degree. In the apostles' view of things, works and grace are essentially opposite and equally irreconcilable as light and darkness. That that really helps. I don't know that I've ever thought of it that way or expressed it that way. We all we all understand. How many of you understand that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works? How many of you understand that? But this understanding of grace and works being opposites, to me, that that helps the light come on for me. How many of you that has helped you understand a little bit better? Works is the opposite of grace. So if I have Nick here. And Nick is going to teach that in order to be saved, you've got to trust in Jesus and then do these things. That means that his message is the opposite message of ours, which is grace alone. Salvation is only by grace. They're not the same. They're not even close. Um, I got an email. Oh, I won't go into that. All right. So then he says this. Besides, when Paul represents 
The capital blessings of salvation is flowing from divine grace. We are led to consider the persons on whom they are bestowed, not only as having no claim to those benefits, but as deserving quite the reverse. See, here's what this is saying. When Jesus Christ... Here, Jake, come up here and help me. So, here's salvation. I'm going to be Christ, and I'm going to offer it to the sinner, Jacob. All right? So, I'm going to give you this. So, this idea of this gift of salvation... Here's what we must understand. When I give you this gift, when I give that to him, he deserves it to go the completely opposite direction. That's the proper understanding of grace. We get so mixed up. Our understanding of grace is niceness. Um, I think I told you. Thanks, Jake. I think I told you um, at camp the... The director of the camp told the girls, he said, now the rule is that your shorts come to your knee. But we're going to have grace. And so if you can touch your knee from the bottom of your shorts, that's okay. That's not grace. Grace is you don't deserve to have the shorts. Right? It's not, I'm going to wear what I want to wear because I want to wear it. I deserve to wear what I want to wear. I got nice legs, I'm going to show them. And I really do, but I won't show you. That's not grace. Do you want to see what grace does? Look at Titus with me. Look at Titus. It's interesting when we understand this concept of grace and unworthiness, it opens up some understanding for us. Titus. Okay, somebody took Titus. There it is. All right. Look at Titus, chapter 2, and verse 11. For the grace of God that what? Bringeth salvation. All right? So you see what grace does? Understanding of grace brings salvation. And grace must give us our understanding of unworthiness. When, when, we get, when we start there, then we learn something. Okay? Here's what it says. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Okay, so what is teaching us? Right? So the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, all right, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Isn't that interesting? So here's the deal. We don't receive the grace by living righteously, godly, and soberly in this present world. 
Amen? But my unworthiness, my recognition of my unworthiness, and the magnification of the grace, when that comes in, that changes me. It makes me want to live differently and do different things and and go different places. It changes me. But for me to say that that change has to come first, that is the opposite of the gospel. So we're we're, we're trying to understand grace a little bit. Let's go back to Galatians 1, and you'll see what I mean. It's almost saying the exact same thing, Galatians 1. All right, so here we are in verse 3 again. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Now, were we worthy of that? Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present world according to the will of God and our Father. Now, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ is going to deliver us from this world. Man, are we looking for that day? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Do you know that that's the next verse in Titus that we just looked at? So when we understand that the grace of God hath appeared, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, we should live righteously, soberly, godly, in this present world. Why? Because He's going to take us out of it. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Right? Y'all remember that song? But the problem is we are so at home in this world because we forget about our unworthiness. We forget about the grace. We forget about God's plan in our lives. But you know what we mistake sometimes? In our understanding that God's going to deliver us from this present evil world, that doesn't mean only that He's going to take us out. He's going to deliver us while we are in this present evil world. Remember what salvation is. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Amen? If you're born again, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's no condemnation. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am right now, presently, in this evil world, being saved from the power of sin. So salvation does. I do not have to sin. Right? That, that, that's what Galatians is about. That, that's, what we're, that's what we're going to be studying. And then I will be saved from the presence of sin. When He comes and takes us out of here. That, that We're going to be away from it. Won't that be awesome? No more sin. But in the meantime, He's going to teach us how to live godly, soberly, and righteously in this present world. How's that happen? 
How's that happen? Look with me. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. But how is it going to happen? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. What is the power that is required? Okay, everybody look up here. What is the power that is required to deliver us from this present evil world? What is the power that will enable me to live righteously and godly and soberly in this present evil world? What is the power that's going to do that? It's only the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to spend more time on this later, but let's take a brief look at it. Go to Romans chapter 6 with me so you can see this. And just as an encouragement to you, I'm cutting out about two-thirds of my message this morning. So, that'll help you. All right. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, how many of you think that would be a bad idea? Right? Uh, how many of you have heard of Rasputin, the Russian monk Rasputin? His life's verse was, Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So his teaching was, we must be as evil as possible so that there can be more grace. Right? This guy was demon-possessed, man. They, 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 he was called the, the indestructible monk. They tried to drown him. They tried to poison him. They tried to kill him over and over and over again, and he wouldn't die. He's a wicked, wicked man. But the Apostle Paul said, that's a rhetorical question. Look at what he says in verse 2. He gives the answer, though. God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Right? So, we as believers are dead to sin. There's no longer any reason for us to live in sin. Why? How does that work? Okay, I hope everybody's got a Bible in front of you because we're going to get the specific instruction. Romans chapter 1, look at verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Okay, so let's stop here for a second. <clears throat> Is this saying that you get baptized for salvation? Of course not. Of course not. R Romans chapter 6. Did I tell you the wrong chapter? Romans chapter 1 is a good chapter too. Let's try this again. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 and let's read verse 1 again. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the answer? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? What, is, what does that mean? Well, let's let the Bible clear it up. Keep your place here in 1 Corinthians and go... I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, 
Romans, keep your place here in Romans 6, and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And it goes on. This is talking about the body of Christ. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ when we are born again. Amen? Okay, so back to Romans. That's what it's talking about. Therefore, verse 4, Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So here's the idea. When we get saved, we're saying that we are completely unworthy of life. And we receive that life by grace. Amen? What is more worthless than a dead body? I had a buddy, his dad would say, you're about as worthless as a trunk full of dead men. No, you're about as useful as a trunk full of dead men. How many of you have worked with a teenager and you felt that way? You know what I'm talking about? Now, young people, I think you're awesome. I would never say that, but your dads would. Now, the, the thing is, nothing is more worthless than a dead body. Now, we as Christians, we are very careful in the way that we prepare for funerals and, and all of those things because, why? Because Jesus Christ come back for that body. Amen? But here's the idea. A dead, there's no profit in the dead. Ecclesiastes talks a lot about that. But then look at what the Bible says. Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. How? Are we, you and I, going to live righteously, soberly, godly in this present world? How is He going to deliver us from this present evil world? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is it that changes us? What is it that allows us to walk in newness of life? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I understand what you're saying. Okay? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 22. We're looking at the message that was preached by the apostles. This is the message. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, 
having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that it should be holden or that he should be holden of it. So what was the message? You killed Jesus, God raised him from the dead. All right? Look at verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. So what were they testifying of? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what they're testifying of. Acts chapter 3, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses and his name through faith uh, and his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. What was their message? Death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. Look at verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And he goes on and gives them the message. Drop down to verse 26. Unto you first. God, having raised up His Son, Jesus, sent Him to bless you and turning away every one of you from His iniquities. How are we turned from our iniquities? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, God, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Uh, what, what is the message? You killed him. God raised him up. That's how this man is made new. That's the message. That's the message. Look at verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the message. Acts chapter 5 and verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. What's the message? You killed him? God raised him up. Look at verse 32. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Holy Ghost comes and makes us witnesses. Witnesses of what? You killed Jesus. God raised him up from the dead. That's the message. 
Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 39. Uh, Let's look at verse 37. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So after John's baptism, now there's a new message. How that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree, Him God raised up the third day and showed Him openly. What was the message? You killed Him. God raised Him from the dead. Are you getting a theme? All right. Acts chapter 13. Verse 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God... To you is sent the word of to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when They had fulfilled all that was written of him. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them, which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. Look at verse 33. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. Verse 34, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead. Verse 37, but he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Verse 38, be it known unto you therefore men and brethren that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. What did it? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Acts 17, 22. Let's drop down to verse 30 for time's sake. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. So what is the message? Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Let's tie this up. Verse 4. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Now, I like this. You might want to mark these two words. 
knowing this. There's something that we need to know. This is a participle, right? Knowing, this is something that we know. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Why? That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died... He died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise. Okay, now let's get this likewise. Mark likewise there. We'll get get a connection there. Likewise. Likewise what? Well, Jesus Christ, how many times did Jesus Christ die? Once. How many times did he taste death for our sin? Once. Not every time the Mass is said. Right? He's not sacrificed anew. He died once. Now, how many of you think that Jesus Christ is worried about dying again? He died once and was raised from the dead to live forevermore. Right? So, just as Jesus Christ died once rose from the dead to live forevermore. Likewise, anybody here saved? How many of you are born again? If you're born again, you are buried with Christ in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is that you are buried in Jesus Christ. You are placed in Him. And just as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, now you live by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Likewise, look what it says. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How is it that we're going to live a godly life in this present evil world through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Go back to Galatians with me and we'll see that again. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I want you to do this. Okay? Everybody, pinch yourself. Pinch yourself. Hard. Does it hurt? That means you're still in the flesh. Okay? The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. How am I going to live this Christian life? How am I going to live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world? How am I going to do that? By holding on to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the new life. I can't do it. I must be dead and Christ live in me. And then I can do those things that Christ has asked me to do. Man, you get that messed up. Grace 
and works are complete opposites. Amen? We don't live the Christian life through works. We live the Christian life through grace. We aren't sanctified by works. We're not made righteous by works. We're made righteous by grace. Just as Jesus Christ died once and rose from the dead, if you have died with Christ in salvation, likewise, you'll live with Him forevermore. You're not going to lose your salvation. Jesus Christ only died once. He'd have to die again if you could lose yours. Why? Because you're in Him. You're in Him. It's by grace. If it's by grace, then it can't be of works. You ready for this? Let's all do this together. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you so much for your grace.